And now, the best of Paranormally Speaking. Hey, welcome back after that amazing commercial break that we just encountered. This just in, UFO researcher claims to have discovered ancient underground alien structure in Antarctica. The four most common places that aliens use for their bases, on or nearby Earth, are alleged to be underwater, inside of volcanoes, preferably active ones, on the moon, and the frozen tundra of Antarctica. The reasoning behind these choices is thought to be because they are all places where most human beings will never look. Number two, even if they did, it would be very difficult to do so. One prolific UFO researcher, Scott Waring, has been studying these locations for years and recently made another potentially significant discovery. Waring writes on his website that he was pursuing Google Earth doing his usual investigations when he came across something strange. He says, I found a buried location of an ancient alien structure, he writes. When I changed the time of the photos on earlier photos revealed, an airport runway freshly made, dozens of trailers, tractors, and it looks like the mound has was being excavated by scientists and military. I believe they found an ancient alien structure under the snow and ice. While scrutinizing this discovery, Waring says he also noticed something else. I also found the face of Jesus near the excavation site, he writes. The face is that of a male with long hair, beard, mustache, long face, and a crown of thorns around his head. Not to mention that his eyes, nose, chin, and cheeks all clearly show. These two locations are also close to a standing dark figure that I found last year on the snowy mountains. It's the figure of a huge bipedal being that could only be an alien. It can't be just a coincidence that all these pieces of evidence are so close to one another. I believe they are all related and build on the theory of the ancient aliens that once inhabited Antarctica. Waring also astutely points out Jesus was an alien who came to Earth to instill morals and rules to help a chaotic early human rise to enlightenment. He also added in the comments to the video that was added to this that he may actually be the son of God, too. Both could be true. Viewers of the videos that were attached were not told who he believed the face is, but multiple people commented that's Jesus. Warring also, in a reply to commenters, explained the landing strip and trailers are for humans, but clearly they are digging up the hill area and that contains some huge underground structure. That structure, I believe it to be alien. It's U.S. military going after alien tech, he said. Another commenter, who Waring agreed with, wrote, If it was newly made, they would have covered it completely, but the structure might be an alien ship that they couldn't lift up and transport, so they covered it for now. But the wind keeps on covering its tips. If you take a look at the video, he says, for yourself, what's going on down in Antarctica? The title is Three Signs of Ancient Aliens in Antarctica. 
Long ago in the ancient past, real giants once roamed the African plains, Indonesian jungles, and the hills of France. Men grew upwards of seven, eight, nine, and even eleven feet high and wielded crude stone tools. A gigantic ape, the King Kong of the prehistoric world, raised his head ten to twelve feet above the ground and weighed as much as four modern gorillas. In 1911, mummified remains were found by guano hunters in Lovelock Cave, a large rock shelter in Nevada's Lake Lahantan region. According to legend, these skeletons belong to a cannibalistic tribe of red-haired giants known to the Poate Indians as the C.T. Cha. These cannibals were at war with the Piatu until the number of tribes came together and trapped the Siti Cha in Lovelock Cave, started a fire, and asphyxiated them. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. What are the most haunted places in Salem? If there was one city you'd expect to have a lot of ghosts, it would be Salem, Massachusetts. When people talk about the most haunted cities to visit, Salem almost always comes up on the list. I know it was on my list, and I was fortunate enough to spend a weekend in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, there's uh, ghost city tours that they have. Uh, they've always taken great pride in researching the history and people associated with hauntings and that they feature on their ghost tours. And Salem is no different. Before they opened their ghost tours in Salem, they spent many months researching the ghost stories and seeing what is true and what is simply folklore. And they put together a list of the most haunted places in Salem. And these are the locations uh, where they have verified that ghosts actually haunt. Uh, they also corrected some of the common misconceptions about a number of ghost stories being told. Now, nothing will replace a great ghost tour. So, while they hope you enjoy the list that they provided me with about Salem's most haunted places, they also hope that you will join them for a ghost tour in Salem so they can show you these locations and tell you even more ghost stories about them. Now, the first one that they submitted to me was Burying Point Cemetery, perhaps the most famous haunted cemetery in Salem. The Burying Point Cemetery has seen a lot of over the course of Salem's history, 
perhaps. This is why so many ghost haunts take place in this cemetery. On the tour, they take you to the Burying Point Cemetery and tell you the stories of the ghosts which haunt there. But, I mean, for now, they just take you through the ghost tours of the Burying Point Cemetery on uh, what they have set up during those actual tours. Now, the Witch House is another one. Maybe the most famous haunted house in Salem as the only building remaining that is or was connected to the witch trials. And that was 1692. And this house still stands. Of course, it's been seen major renovations. Now, the witch house garners a lot of attention from people visiting Salem. And during the ghost tours, they make a stop outside of the witch house. But if you can't wait to learn more about it, you can always check the Salem City Ghost Tours and learn more about the history and mystery of that location. Another one is Proctor's Ledge. After many years of debate, historians now mostly agree that Proctor's Ledge was the site of the hangings of the Salem Witch Trials. Now the hauntings there start to make sense. For over 200 years, the rumors of Proctor's Ledge being haunted have circulated throughout Salem. The Howard Street Cemetery, along with the Burying Point Cemetery, the Howard Street Cemetery is one of Salem's most famous haunted cemeteries. The site where Giles Corey was flattened between two stones. It should come as no surprise that the cemetery, well, is said to be haunted. The Old Salem Jail. If there is one place in Salem that is sure to be haunted, it is the Old Salem Jail. While it might not be a jail anymore, the building which sits there, where the jail was located, is haunted by more than a few ghosts, and not all of them are friendly. The House of Seven Gables, which I took a full tour through. The House of Seven Gables might be the most well-known house in Salem, although the witch house may give it a run for its money. Today, the House of Seven Gables is well-known as one of Salem's most haunted houses. Who might be haunting this house? No one knows. The Haunted Pickman House, one of the most haunted houses in Salem. The Pickman House has been well known as the home to many ghosts for hundreds of years. Even passerbyers to the house have reported seeing the ghosts of apparitions in the windows and on the grounds. And while you cannot go inside the Pickman House, it is still very interesting to look at and view from the outside, of course. The Joshua Ward House. The Joshua Warehouse is one of the Salem's most historic homes, and if people are to be believed, it is also one of the most haunted houses in Salem. Rockefellers. Most people who are coming to Salem are looking for the total paranormal experience. This often means finding a haunted restaurant to enjoy a delicious dinner. If it sounds like you, uh, the Rockefellers might be the place that you're looking for, known as one of the most haunted restaurants in Salem. Rockefellers seems to be home to more than a few ghosts. The Haunted Merchant. If you're looking for a haunted place in Salem, you don't have to look much further than The Merchant. Long known for being one of the most haunted places in Salem, it had been on this list for a very long time with a connection to the Salem Witch Trials. It might not surprise people 
that this location is in fact very haunted. The Haunted Ropes Mansion, made famous for being in the movie Hocus Pocus. The Ropes Mansion has been famous in Salem for much longer. It has also been regarded as a haunted place in Salem for even longer. Why would that beautiful mansion be haunted? Could it be due to the deaths that happened in the house? Gallows Hill. With a name like Gallows Hill, it probably doesn't surprise you to learn that this is one of the most haunted houses in the Salem area. For a long time, this was rumored to be the location where the, rich tr the witch trial hangings took place. But the history does not back that up, unfortunately. Regardless, the area around Gallows Hill on the house that once stood has long been rumored to be haunted by the people who died in Salem. Who could be haunting that area? The Old Town Hall. The Salem Old Town Hall seems to be the place where many spirits and ghosts have chosen to spend the afterlife in Salem. For over 150 years, the stories of ghosts and hauntings have been coming from the Old Town Hall. On the Salem Ghost Tours, they often make the stop at the Old Town Hall to tell you the creepy story of why one of the most haunted places in Salem came to be. The Salem Inn. The Salem Inn is the perfect place to stay. In Salem, if you're looking for a room with a ghost or two, over the years, an untold number of guests have been staying at the Salem Inn, and they've reported ghostly apparitions bothering them in the night. Who could be haunting the Salem Inn, and why are they still there? Well, dive into the history of this location, and it would tell you why the Ghost City Tours think that it's one of Salem's most haunted spots. Now, the Salem Inn is where we stayed when we visited Salem. And they had a wedding going on the same weekend. So we got to meet a lot of people going in and going out. And I had to go back to our vehicle to put in the parking pass. So our vehicle would not be towed from the parking lot. And at this time, it was 2012. So I had one of the first iPhones at this point, And I was playing around with the screen when I got on the elevator. And then noticed to my left, this absolutely radiant blonde girl who was standing there uh, in the corner, kind of like looking down. And she was dressed really well. I assumed she was a part of the wedding party. So I struck up a conversation with her and she acknowledged me, smiled, blushed, nodded her head in agreement. And I asked her if she was part of the wedding party. And she went, mm-hmm, and blushed a little bit more. And I told her she looked beautiful and she smiled and the elevator stopped. The doors opened and I looked back in her direction and said, oh, you can go ahead and get off first. She was gone. So I was physically riding the elevator alone, but metaphysically had another occupant that I was interacting with and acknowledged me speaking to her. And as I stood there in astonishment, the entire elevator started to smell like roses or strawberries, like a mix of both. And it just kind of wafted through the air. And at night, we stayed there two nights. At around 2.33 o'clock, the light switch in the room would click and all the lights would come on. And at some point in the night, you'd hear things moving around in the room. And you'd sit and look up and the items you had on the round table, 
that were in your room, the items would be moving around and just fly off the table. And that happened several times as we stayed there for just one weekend. The Ghosts of Bunghole Liquors. Located on Lowell Street, you'll find out one of the most haunted places in Salem. And with a name like Bunghole Liquors, we know you're interested. While they don't go into that area during the ghost tours, it is still an important place to know about if you're looking for the most haunted places in Salem. The Ghosts of Grimshaw House. Inspiring Hawthorne himself, the Grimshaw House should be on any list of the most haunted places in Salem, if not the world. It made the list after all, and there have been a lot of debates as to whether or not the Grimshaw House is in fact haunted or not. Wicked Good Books. If you're into books and ghosts, or even books about ghosts, the Wicked Good Bookstore is for you. Widely regarded as one of the most haunted places in Salem, Wicked Good Books should be on your itinerary when visiting Salem. Please hold for an important word from one of my sponsors. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. The Poltergeist Curse, Inside the Mysterious Cast, Deaths, and Oddities on Set. Let's take a look at the Poltergeist Curse and reveal all of the suspect deaths surrounding the film series. When you mix a daughter who communicates with spirits living inside a TV set, a backyard that becomes a swimming pool of muddy skeletons, a wolf beast demon that lives in a closet, and Steven Spielberg's genius, you get the perfect formula for a blockbuster. Total scariness. Released in 1982, the original Poltergeist, directed by Tobe Hooper and produced by Spielberg, was an instant success and is considered to be a masterpiece of American horror cinema. The film focuses on the Freelings, a middle-class family led by a youthful, dashing Craig T. Nelson, whose life is upturned when a number of paranormal and vicious events occur in their California home, and their daughter, Carol Ann, is abducted through her bedroom closet by a group of ghosts who are under the control of a monster demon called the Beast. After learning that their house sits atop a Native American burial ground, the Freelings spend their time attempting to retrieve Carol Ann and all the while stay sane as they get smacked around, terrorized, and ultimately goobered up on in a bathtub. 
With Poltergeist's success came a creepy mystique that the classic film is shrouded in real-life tragedies that some interpret as a curse. Four cast members died during and soon after the filming of the series. The majority of the fuel for the alleged curse stems from the deaths of multiple cast members. In total, four cast members died during and soon after the filming of the series. Two of these tragic deaths were highly unexpected and puzzling, leading many fans to speculate that the trilogy's eerie implications. Carol Ann Freeling, the young focal point of the series, was played by Heather O'Rourke, only six years old when the first Poltergeist film was released. O'Rourke captivated audiences with her stark blonde hair and her doll-like appearance and big inquisitive eyes. Sadly, however, she was misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease in 1987. The following year, O'Rourke fell ill again and her symptoms were casually attributed to a flu. A day later, she collapsed and suffered a cardiac arrest. After being airlifted to a children's hospital in San Diego, O'Rourke died during an operation to correct a bowel obstruction and was later believed that she had been suffering from a congenital intestinal abnormality. Dominique Dune. Dominique Dune, who played the original older sister, Dana Freeling, met an equally tragic and unforeseen fate. In 1982, Dune separated from her partner, John Sweeney. In November of that year, he showed up at Dune's house, pleading for her to take him back. When she refused... Sweeney grabbed Dune's neck, choked her until she was unconscious, and left her to die in her Hollywood Holmes driveway. Sweeney was sentenced to six and a half years in prison, but released after three years and seven months. Julianne Beck and Will Sampson. The other two cast member deaths, while unfortunate, were not as unpredictable or mysterious. The evil preacher Cain from Poltergeist 2 was played by Julian Beck. In 1983, Beck had been diagnosed with stomach cancer, which took his life soon after he finished work on the second installment of the series. The same film was met with further tragedy after Will Sampson, who played Taylor, the Native American shaman, died after undergoing a heart-lung transplant, which had a very slim survival rate. Now, other strange things that happened on the set, cast deaths were not the only agents of the curse's proliferation or as other peculiar and creepy legends surround the film franchise. Joe Beth Williams, who played Mom, Diana Freeling, in the first two films, claimed that director Spielberg insisted on using actual human skeletons as props in an attempt to save money at the time they were cheaper than plastic skeletons. Williams' claim has never been verified, but it persists to this day in the lore surrounding the film's curse. Finally, in an effort to further creep out everyone's involvement, Samson, the real-life medicine man 
who passed away due to circumstances mentioned earlier, performed an authentic exorcism after shooting wrapped up one night. One can only imagine how this made the other cast members feel. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Classified FBI documents recently mentioned the idea that Nikola Tesla had a connection with space people and was brought here by them as a baby. This was apparently not revealed until 1950 according to the information in this document. Although the claims within the document are not verifiable and may very well be untrue, as much as they could be true, Nikola Tesla had a well-documented interest in life on other planets and believed to have received signals from other lives from other worlds. The mainstream UFO disclosure is taking off and the subject is no longer taboo. There's a common narrative in the field suggesting that because the mainstream media is presenting the topic the way they are now, the phenomenon represents nothing but lies. The question is, does the mainstream media cover real events and attempt to manipulate the perception of the masses regarding such events? Are there powerful groups of people out there who want to control the narrative when it comes to the topic of UFOs? Reasonable evidence suggests that the CIA hired remote viewers to find out information about extraterrestrials visiting our planet, their intentions, and also potential extraterrestrial bases that exist on Earth. This formula and procedure was first introduced within the writings of Nikola Tesla. The UFO phenomenon is no longer taboo. The reality of it is... It has gone mainstream, and so too has the extraterrestrial hypothesis. What are the implications of exploring this topic? Can we really trust the government for any accurate information, any government of any country? The ball is in your court. Loch Ness Monster found as sonar image shows massive underwater creature. The Plesiosaurus has been unusually social over the summer months with multiple sightings recorded but the latest high-tech image could be the clearest proof yet of her existence the Loch Ness monster may have been captured on high-tech equipment and her mystical home amid a flurry of sightings of the legendary beast a visitor to the highlands claims to have caught Nessie swimming deep in the murky waters the third time the prehistoric resident has been caught this summer the spotter named by the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register as Brandon Scanalon claims to have recorded a sound image of a creature rumored to be between 3 to 4 meters, around 9 to 13 feet long below the waves. Mr. Scanalon 
was traveling on the Nessie Hunter vessel used to ferry passengers on journeys around the lock. It comes after a number of reported sightings in July and August, purported to be the alleged Plesiosaurus. According to the register, during the latest sighting on August 26, Benjamin Scanalon was on a holiday with his family and took a trip on the Nessie Hunter of Loch Ness Cruises. He spotted something on the sonar on the boat and caught the image. Captain Mike of the boat estimated that to be 3 to 4 meters in length at a depth of about 20 meters, while the boat was in water about 40 meters deep. Plesiosaurus typically grew to a length of around 11 feet, according to fossil records, placing its size right in the middle of the captain's estimate. Recent sightings have included a Mr. Vcock claiming to have seen an unidentified creature rise two feet from the water before descending back into the peaty depths while on holiday last month. In another incident, a father and daughter claimed to have seen Nessie moving through the water while hiking nearby. The register maintained by a team of volunteers categorizes sightings of the Plesiosaurus back to the earliest description in the 6th century when it was recorded and reportedly halted in its tracks by St. Columbia. Plesiosaurus typically grew to a length of around 11 feet, according to fossil records, placing its size in the middle of Vcock's estimates as well. Thousands of sightings with a range of validity have been recorded, including 9 in 2021. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Join me next week for God knows what I have in store. But I do have a crazy season lined up. Could be talking about, I don't know, artificial intelligence and robots that are reproducing themselves, serial killers and the demons that haunt them, or some other strange and paranormal phenomenon. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. This is Neil Parks. Thank you for joining me on Paranormally Speaking.